Well, it's time for the sermon. Can I have some lights up? Thank you. I'm so used to looking out now, I get blinded if they're not up. So we're still in Blueprint. Well, we just started, actually. And I want to encourage you. There are four sets of questions online. There'll be two more sets of questions. But that doesn't mean you can't read ahead. You know what? I just realized something, that the kids are about to enjoy the best sermon they've ever heard. It actually has a great start to it. You'll laugh. Let's release the kids, but you'll laugh. It's going to sound like it was written for them. Can our youngest kids head out to their classrooms, please? Can our elementary kids head out to their classrooms, please? And our junior youth. So even if we don't have questions up, which we won't over the summer, dig in, be challenged, get excited about a God that wants to change your life. And I'm reminding you that this is a good read over the summer. At least that's what I've been told. It's written by a kind of neat-looking bald guy who wasn't bald when he wrote it. But I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll find it challenging. You don't need a sermon series. You can read this and enjoy it. I encourage you to make sure you're challenging yourselves to be more than simply what you were yesterday or the day before. Christianity is a following of Christ. It isn't a stagnant experience. We don't just become followers of Christ and that's it, but we continue on the journey. I want to challenge all of us, including myself, to be something more than we were to become something more of what God wants us to be. Now, here's the big beginning that will maybe make you chuckle because it starts this way. There once was a dog named Barney. Doesn't that sound perfect for our kids? Not a dinosaur, a dog. Barney's actually a real dog. This isn't a made-up story. I, I wrote 25 years ago. I hate to tell you, but it was closer to 35 years ago that we used to go to my wife's grandparents' trailer and we used to, it's right by the sandbanks, and we'd walk out to the road to walk down to the sandbanks, because we don't pay for parking. We walk that out. And we'd stop by this trailer of this older couple, and they had a dog named Barney. Cute dog. Had one of those stubby little tails, so it kind of wagged weird. But Barney was just long-haired, beautifully taken care of. But Barney was a rescue dog. And I know we use that term often to mean rescued from being put down, a dog that was not wanted, but this was rescue with capital letters. Barney had been beaten within an inch of his life, and they had nursed him back to health. Now, we wouldn't know this. This looks like a normal dog. This dog acts like a normal dog, or for most of the time it does. But we would notice there was mental scars on the dog. I don't know how a dog's brain works, but I'll tell you, this dog knew it had been beaten. Because you gently go to pet the dog, and it would look down and look out of its corner's eye and cower. If you move quickly with your hand, it would duck and yelp. Barney knew that when he saw a hand coming to him, it was going to hurt him. It didn't matter if it really was. What Barney had seen in his life meant that hands coming towards you would injure you. Barney knew what he saw. And what he saw became what he knew. It's actually tough. You'd want to give him a pat. 
And if you were lucky enough to get over there before he cowered, you could actually start to pet him and see him realize that what he was seeing was not actually real. Barney, what he saw, became what he knew. We observe negative behavior, we see it, and we react to it. And then we see something similar in our lives, and it becomes what we know. It's not necessarily reality, but it once was. But there's a flip side to that. We can see positive stuff or things we think are positive, and it becomes what we know. What we see is what we know. Just think about growing up, teenagers. What did we do? We wore the cool clothes. We did our hair a certain way. We listened to a certain music. We moved a certain way. When I was growing up, the end thing was very tight jeans. So we moved a certain way for totally different reasons. It is amazing there's another generation. I remember people lying on their beds with coat hangers trying to pull up the zippers. But that was cool. We saw it. And the cool people on TV, and for your young people, this would have been the precursor to the interweb there. The YouTube people, the influencers is what you call them. They showed us what it was to be cool. What we saw is what we knew, and we knew we had to talk the lingo, listen to the music, act a certain way. As a matter of fact, I look back and realize that we went from long hair and bell-bottom jeans, and then we came back to them. You remember they came back, but this group was smarter. It only like lasted a year. And a lot of those things come back around, and now it's cool, then it's not. What we see is what we know, and that's what makes us who we are, at least we think so. We don't always recognize that that's how we design our lives. In transition in a church, often when we try to say we are looking for God's, God's direction, what the future looks like, we run up against the idea of what church already looks like. We've seen it. It must be good. Our style of worship must be good because we've seen it, we know it, and that's Christianity. I don't know about you, but a lot of people had that special experience when they came to Christ. And they seek after it every day after that. What they saw was Jesus in a special way. Therefore, Jesus must be the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's biblical. But what we see of Jesus is revealed differently each day according to his perfect plan and his perfect revelation to you. But I don't know about you, but I've met people still chasing the high of that first day. Because what they saw is what they know, and that's the description of Jesus to them. Transition and transformation is the biggest threat to what we know. Because it expands us beyond our comfort zone. Transformation is not change on an external level. Change is making yourself look different. Transformation is God getting inside of you and renovating you from the inside out. God wants to rip out the things that he doesn't want in you. God wants to add the things he does want in you. But what we see is what we know, so it's uncomfortable. When God gets a hold of us, it's not comfortable. When God sets out to make change, to bring revelation to us, it's not always what we're used to seeing. But can we see it? Because what we see is what we know, so what we know is comfortable. And when God moves differently, are we open to a God that wants to transform? God wants to dig in there, reach around and make change. But at least for me, I find that uncomfortable because I think I'm okay. This is what Christianity looks like, right? I preach from up here. This is what church looks like. But what if God said, put the stage on the other side? I know that's a little ridiculous, but what if he did? 
would it be church anymore? Take a lot of getting used to, wouldn't it? And that's just on the silly front. God is often reaching inside and removing things that we think are godly. But God has chosen not to deal with at that moment. God has said, not yet. And then later on, he reaches in and we think, well, why did you leave it that way? Well, God would tell you, you weren't ready. You were seeing things as being Christian and right behavior, and God was transforming you all along. When we're struggling with our own identity, often the struggle is we see what we think we should look like, and we never actually go inside of who we are. Who we are in Christ is what we should look like, but if we're not transformed in here, we're just putting on a facade. We're just making ourselves look God. I think we all have an idea what the perfect Christian church and leader looks like. And we all have the idea of what an imperfect or what undesirable church and Christians and leaders look like. We try to be one and avoid the other. But this is the issue. We fight for an appearance. What we see becomes what we know when God wants to be so much more in our lives than just making us look good. I don't know if you know the term putting lipstick on a pig. But let's be honest, lipstick on a pig still is a bunch of baking just waiting to be killed and eaten. A pig doesn't get more pretty because you put lipstick on it. God doesn't want to make you up to look good. He wants to reach inside and change you. He wants to make you different than what you've ever seen. But are we open? Are we comfortable? Or do we just act to impress or to avoid? Do we just want to look a certain way and be so comfortable because, hey, who wants to be challenged? We got it pretty easy here in North America, and I think one of the things is we're not used to challenges. We're not used to the, to the things in life. Like we can go turn on a tap and water comes. We don't have to go get that. If we have a health care issue, we don't need God. We got a hospital. If we have need groceries, we don't go out and kill an animal. We go buy it, although at this point, we may have to start killing our own animals. We need petrol, gas. It's down the street. We don't understand that life comes with a cost and a challenge because we're not challenged. So when it happens in our Christianity, what we've seen in our easy lives, we try to transport into our Christ following, not recognizing that being a Christ follower is a challenge. It's difficult. It's not just about being the same on the outside. It's about being transformed on the inside. The outside can look pretty, but God wants to get a hold of your heart and renovate it to be like Jesus. Jesus can really get to the point sometimes. I don't know if you've read a lot of his words and actually thought what it would be like to stand in front of him and have him say things like this. These verses here, as a pastor or a religious leader, let's call it, because that's who he's addressing, man, I wouldn't want to be sitting in front of him or standing in front of him and have him look at me and say this. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the laws, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, who are like whitewashed tombstones, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. I don't know if you understand 
how tough a statement that is. As not being Jewish people, we may have some Jewish people with us, but not brought up in Jewish tradition, to be called unclean is the ultimate insult. That's for them people, them Gentiles. Uncleanly or unclean, death, all those things were a statement of a horrible state. And Jesus called the religious leaders of that time fake. Truly unclean under the surface, but putting on a good face with their rules and their laws. They looked good. They looked religious. After all, they made up the look that they were doing. It didn't even match what God intended them to be. But they created a look of religiosity, and everybody looked at them and said, Wow, that's what it is to be a follower of the living God. What we see is what we know. And enough generations seeing that thought it was right. Let's go to something else. What did Jesus look like? Well, I've seen the pictures. He was a white dude with blonde hair and a really neatly trimmed beard. Didn't you see that guy? Rip muscles. Just before they crucify him, he must have worked out. We made a nice, clean, tidy, pretty Jesus. We created a Jesus that's comfortable and looks like us. I know one thing. As a very, very white-skinned person, I wouldn't survive a day in the Mediterranean without sunblock. Jesus wasn't white. Jesus would have looked like the rest of his family. He would have been Jewish, Mediterranean. His family traced itself back to the beginning of time. So even our pictures are sanitized of Jesus, let alone our version of what it is to follow Christ. Jesus did not have a team trimming his beard every day. He did not have makeup artists making him look good. And no, he most likely was not blonde. If his skin was white, that would have been a deficiency in his genetic code for someone born there. And Jesus was not born imperfect. He would have been or looked like his family. But that's what we want, comfort. We want a Jesus that makes us comfortable. One that doesn't challenge us. One we see and we know is just like me. It transfers itself into our churches. Jesus woke up with bedhead. He probably got tangles in his hair. Maybe he got his beard trimmed once every four or five months. I don't know what he did, but he wasn't manicured and pretty. His feet probably smelled. Everyone did. He went to the bathroom. Have you ever thought of that? How we so sanitized him that he didn't do anything that we did. What a loss. How far have we gotten from Jesus to this clean, pretty thing we've created. As a matter of fact, we don't have pictures of Jesus, but Isaiah painted a picture with the words of prophecy given to him by God. Those words do not paint a pretty picture of Jesus. We want to see that well-manicured guy, but listen to what Isaiah says about Jesus. We want to think of that life of our king as being one of royalty and perfection and beauty, but this is what Isaiah says. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I'm just going to stop there for a moment. Nothing about Jesus would make us want to be with him. He was not a movie star. You would not have seen him standing there talking and saying, I want to be like him because he's the good-looking guy. As a matter of fact, it was quite the opposite. 
Isaiah goes on and says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. That's not the person I'm comfortable following. That's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? Suffering? Who wants that? Like one from whom men hide their faces. There was a detestability about Jesus, especially after he had been beaten and attacked. There was nothing about Jesus that made us want him just because he was a good-looking dude. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we consider him stricken by God, smitten by him, afflicted. This is important. In Jewish custom and tradition, anybody who was sick or beaten or attacked was often considered to be afflicted by God. Well, we know he was given our sins to bear. But Jesus didn't look like the great religious leader that they were expecting. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus carried the dirt of our lives. But that dirt is dirt we have. Our Christian lives aren't so pretty, or Jesus wouldn't have had to die. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? Let's understand how important that is. He didn't have a family, and in Jewish customs, to have a family is to carry on the name. To be afflicted is to not continue the family name. For he was cut off from the land of the living, living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Is this the Jesus we follow? Because it isn't pretty. It isn't comfortable. It's servanthood to the point of death. Have we created something we're comfortable seeing when God is trying to create something inside of us that is uncomfortable but so much more rewarding? Does our theology and our practice be so clean and comfortable that we don't challenge ourselves anymore because we want to see comfort? But the worst part is the next generation has it grown up with a Christianity that isn't worth getting out of bed for. One that hasn't challenged them to change so that you come into church and say, it's just like my friends, it's like the rest of the world. What we see is what we know and what they see is often lives that are not deeply changed. I know we go through ebbs and flows. There's times when God gets a hold of us deep inside and starts that renovation and other times when we feel even sometimes alone like God's doing nothing. But are we challenging ourselves to be something more, to be changed from the inside out? Are we putting on a mask and trying to look good? Because God has a plan for transformation. But it's so much more than whitewashing a gravestone and pretending everything's wonderful. I've walked through Mount Pleasant Cemetery. It's a beautiful cemetery. Beautiful headstones, carved and wonderful. But we often forget it still is a cemetery. It still is full of dead bones. You see, as a whitewashed grave marker, we look good on the outside, but the abundant life of a transformed life, one that God has gotten a hold of and changed, is not always there. 
this is not a tongue lashing. This is just a fact. That unlike our brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries or in the past where everything was a challenge and reliance on God is all they have, we're often not transformed because we don't need to rely on God. We have everything handled. What horrible theology. If you lived in Texas this week, you realize your hospitals couldn't save you. If you lived in the Ukraine this week, you realize that nothing could protect you. All you have is God. And when we're not transformed inside, we're not ready for God to step into that role of comforter through his spirit. The discomfort that happens is a shock to us. What I found most interesting about the approach of making it a clean and cleanly Christianity, warm and fuzzy, is that often the warm and fuzzy churches are hiding a secret. They're not so warm and fuzzy after all. Sunday's a wonderful time. Everybody's happy. But what goes on for real? See, the outside is the appearance we present. But if we're not truly transformed, what are we hiding? Ten years ago, I was not doing transitional ministry at the time, so we went to a church. Now, if you start seeing parallels here, you're seeing parallels. This is not a metaphor. This is my experience and my wife's experience. Ten years ago, we went to a church, and we saw behind the curtain. And there was a bully for a pastor who sent his henchmen, his elders, to get people. If you said you're not being kind, they said you were weak. You were wimpy. You were too emotional. But Sunday mornings was beautiful and comfortable. It was a low-challenge environment that in behind the scenes was full of dominance and control. How did they get away with it? Everything looked real good on the outside. And unless you started saying, why are you spending over a million dollars renovating a rented building while the number of people attending are going down? You were told you were against God because people come to Christ because the building looks good. Their washrooms are at par with a five-star resort. But I don't think anybody driving by in the major thoroughfare decided to come to this church because they had nice washrooms. They didn't even know they had nice washrooms. Their renovations were gorgeous. But they couldn't afford to even pay their staff. Money was spent that could have been used on missionaries. Why? Because they wanted the show. They wanted to look good. But in the end, it kept going on, and it kept going on to the point where the children would go off to university and go, wait a minute, the church I've experienced isn't church at all. And they wouldn't come back. And to keep it going this way, the pastor decided that he would make sure only certain elders became elders. He'd just tell you, well, you know, I've heard something, and I can't tell you what it is, but they're not worthy of it. I asked him once, how do you keep a unified leadership board? He says, I make sure certain people don't get on it that don't agree with me. That was a church of close to 400. It's probably 50 to 60 now after COVID. People went online and heard about love, not just a show. People want to be challenged, but we often put together a very friendly, challengeless Sunday morning that avoids the fundamentals of being a new creation. It can't be comfortable not being a sinner anymore. I know we still sin, but it's not comfortable to go from dark to light because it's not our nature. It's not comfortable to say more of him and less of me. It isn't for me anyway. You see, what you had was a come-as-you-are situation, but people stayed as they were because it was comfortable. 
And in the end, their children aren't following Christ. They're asking why. Well, because what's the difference between waking up and looking at your TV and waking up and going to church? It's all the same. We haven't challenged people to follow Christ. How did the pastor get away with bullying more and more? Eventually, they were used to it because the next generation, that's all they ever saw. And it went from behind the scenes to the pulpit. I remember one day he's listening to a sermon in the heartbreak when he said, you know, those people came up against me five years ago, but they're gone now, and it's better without them. Everybody knew who he was referring to. He didn't name them. And that became the norm. What happened to the passion of being new creations in Christ? It was gone. Why am I telling you this? I'm warning you that if we don't challenge ourselves to be more, we will not notice that sometimes what's going on is less than what God called us to be. What we see becomes what we know, and it gets normalized in our lives. It did for me. I got to fight in the worship wars. You know what those were? A lot of casualties, but no physical injuries. Hymns against choruses. And what we saw was what we knew. You can only worship God with certain songs. And it became a fight. It wasn't about being more godly. It was about keeping the comfort of what we were comfortable with. Now, there was a flip side where he told anybody over a certain age you weren't valuable anymore. Go away. We don't like your music. It was a war for people to like a type of music, not for the souls of people to end up in heaven. What a horrible fight. God says, I want to change you on the inside, and we just want a better show on the outside. What's gone wrong? What we see becomes what we know, and we don't know God often because we don't allow ourselves to see him. God wants to do something with you today inside, and you will eventually look different, but he wants to get in there and renovate us, change us, he wants to do what Jesus did when he was here. Turn us into humble people just like Jesus. Servants willing to even die for the faith. Not comfortable in what goes on, but comfortable in our assurance that we have eternal life in Jesus regardless of what happens. Christianity isn't a good marketable idea because it asks us not to be our natural selves. It asks us to embrace the supernatural God that wants to make us more like Jesus. As you drive by the cemetery, you will drive by one in, in the next few days. Look at the gravestones. Some are well-maintained, some are not. But remember, they're markers for things that no longer live. Inside, under the ground, is death, not life. It says Jesus had nothing attractive about him. Maybe on the outside, but what was attractive of, of Jesus? He was holy and righteous. What does God want for us as churches and as individuals? He wants us to be holy and righteous, to love like Jesus did. Nothing covered, nothing hidden. Simply, totally surrendered, even to death, because Jesus did the same. It's challenging, isn't it? It's easy to speak a sermon. It's hard to live one. But I think if you can leave with one thing today, it's let's let surrender be what we see and what we know. Let's let humility be what we see and what we know. Let's let Jesus, the picture of perfection, be what we see, not the blonde picture, but the real Jesus, and therefore what we know and what we do and what we live. 
you've got a lifetime to work on this because you're here for a lifetime with God taking you on the journey. What if we started today and say, what you're going to see is Jesus. Not a mocked up version, but humility. The beauty of holiness and the desire to be more like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so difficult when we realize the task ahead of us, but we don't do the task, God. Teach us to surrender, to be humble. God, you promised through your spirit you would guide us, you'd lead us, you'd convict us. God, first of all, teach us as difficult it is, the hard work's already been done at the cross. God, please don't let us look like whitewashed tombstones with death on the inside, but God, let what's on the inside become truly on the outside. Humble us, change us, make us more like you, Jesus. So what other people see becomes what they know, and what they know becomes Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and join us in singing our last song. Get up a breathe, we live free.